Hello, you're listening to Renaissance Man, a podcast featuring my father, Philip Brunel, as he talks about the world of music. Philip's here. He can play the organ for the service. I'm glad to do it. It's okay. You got, but you got your organ shoes polished. I though. did That's... because I I haven't done that for a long time. So yeah. And and uh, or there are in fact organ shoes. Oh yes. Yeah. Organ what, shoes. What's the difference? Organ shoes. First of all, they're narrow, so it's good to have narrow feet because you want to be able when you put your foot on a pedal. Uh, that you only put it on one. Oh yeah, yeah. And then you also and those wooden the wooden bars that you're pushing with your feet are right. are pretty tight. Yeah. And you also want to be sure that the the bottom of the sole of your shoe is very thin, mm. so that you can almost feel the pedal that you're there. So it's not mm. a big thick rubber sole. So yeah. the, it's not the kind of sole that you wear. Right. No. Yeah, hiking boots. No, no, no. Where now I'm curious. When did you first learn that that's what you needed as an organist? Uh, when I first started organ lessons when I was uh, I think ninth grade. Okay. Then I I was oh you you'll need special organ shoes. Organ shoes. So you order them from a company that makes organ shoes. Yeah. As one does. As one does, and that's mm. what I have. Yes. I see. Well, uh, all right. Well, speaking of that, uh, here's a bit of a, a bit of a segue. Um, you were studying organ in grade nine, but um, we're going to talk today about <clears throat> directing choirs and the the pragmatic uh, tips and tricks of of being a choral director. Right. And so I'm curious. Let's just start here. Who trained you? Um, who were your instructors? And in, in, when did you first learn the fine art of being a choral director? Well, you start that by singing in a choir. because, And that was, of course, I started in ninth grade at Minnehaha Academy. That was your first choir? That was No, it's not. I sang in children's choirs earlier. But it really was when I got into high school, and then it's the observing of the conductor mm. to see how that person creates a, uh, a product. Mm. And uh, that made me become uh, fascinated about what conducting a choir would be like. And so it just started by a, a lot of observing going mm. on. Uh, in the same way, when I, at age 19, uh, became a member of the mini, what was then called the Minneapolis Symphony, um, what I learned was that the most important part of that experience was not the concert, it was the rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Because you learned at the rehearsal how to use time well. Mm. You know, any choral rehearsal whatever length it is, you have to get so much done in that time span. Right. So if you waste time, uh, you're going to end up, at, when the concert comes, not really ready for it. Right. 
So I just learned in the orchestra field to see how conductors used the time. Some were amazing and they really were very efficient and wonderful and others um, less so. And who was who was in your mind? So you were in, you were in the Minnesota Minneapolis Symphony, which became the Minnesota Orchestra. You started in percussion at age nineteen, and then you made your way to to the piano chair at some point. Right. So you were how long were you in the Minnesota Orchestra for as a member? Five years. Five years. Uh, all right. So you obviously a lot of guest conductors, etc., right. etc. Et um, who used time exceedingly well? Who was very organized? Ah, uh, let's see. I would say among the people that I saw, uh, Charles Munch, who was conductor in Boston, uh, was wonderful. He knew exactly what he was trying to get from the orchestra. And Skowczewski, who was the conductor here, was also, uh, he was very good at figuring out what he wanted to do. There were others who weren't so good, yeah, and, and I won't be naming those. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, but choral direction, right? So you observed in high school, you observed uh, the, the choral director at Minnehaha Academy, uh, Harry Opel. But when did you like start to formally realize, okay, I want to be a choral director, you know, and then you realize, well, I guess you go to school and then you study with people. Like, talk to me about that background. Who did you study with then uh, outside of, or how did you start learning to become a choral director? Well, you learned it because I also, being an organist, <clears throat> was having to not only play the organ, but conduct the choir. Mm. So you sort of learned by doing it. Trial by fire. It was trial by, trial by fire, mm -hmm. absolutely. What and, church was that at, that you were the organist? Uh, that was at Holy Trinity Lutheran. Okay. And I went there when I was 20. Yeah. And then I went to Plymouth Church, where I still am, uh, when I was 25. Right. And so, standing, so and is, so every Sunday, I'm sitting there playing the organ, mm -hmm. but I'm also... When, when the choir is singing, I have to conduct them as right. well. So right. you just, you know, you, a lot of it was indeed learning by doing. Yeah. Did you study at all with anyone? You were at the University of Minnesota. Did you? I, at the university, uh, it was more uh, by observation because I sang in a chamber choir. So I saw how it was done. And uh, really? then uh, you were in, I did not know that you were in a chamber choir at the U. I was for like one uh, year, one year. OK. <laughs> yeah. Anyone else in that chamber choir that we know? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. OK. All right. So uh, I did that as I was uh, uh, watching how people it's really more just observing people. Right. There was also um, there was a couple of professors that you know, if you were leading a choir, could just offer you, you know, make this movement more precise or something like that. But mm -hmm. most of it is just on-the-job training. And were there any books or any literature that you read that, I mean, choral, the choral tradition's been around for centuries. There are tons of books on the art of conducting. A choir. One is a famous one by a man named Max Rudolph, and uh, so you you can read that and you can learn perhaps a little bit, but it's really doing it mm -hmm. that you learn. 
There's no no replacement for for oh, not at all. Just being in there and doing being it. Being there and doing it, and then you find out what works, and mm -hmm. you find out what doesn't work. Um, well, I, so when you are let's stay in this space where you're still young, you're you know nineteen, twenty, twenty one. Um, any advice that that still sticks with you that was like ah oh, that was an invaluable bit of insight that you might have received? Well, I would say <clears throat> one of the things you learned uh, is that a choir, working with singers, 50% of what the choir does is vocal and 50% is listening. Because you can't just get up and sing. You need to uh, you need to be listening to other people to see how your sound will blend with what's around you. Mm. Huh. So, um, <clears throat> as a choir director, how might you, other than just saying that to a choir, which is pretty illuminating, how do you help them practice that? You would do it by uh, encouraging them to be an active listener so that while they're singing, listen to who's singing around you. Or you might take, like I did last evening, uh, we were doing a piece of music that I said, you know, the sopranos really throughout this piece have the melody. And alto, tenor, bass, you're really just, a, you're the accompaniment to it. So I just want you to hear what the sopranos are doing so that when you then add your part, you aha, I see where I fit into the picture. So, in, so in that particular instance, you asked the altos and tenors and basses to just listen, just just sit there and listen while the sopranos went through their part. Yep. Yeah. And then, I could also, on many occasions, would say, "Okay, so sopranos, listen to this. This is what's going to back you up. Mm -hmm. So just know, in terms of the the sound, this is what you're going to hear behind you while you're singing your part. Because, right. yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it's about working together that makes a choir. Well, yeah, that's kind of the root definition of a choir is, yep. is together, that word. So uh, we were chatting about this a little bit in the last episode, but um, how do you get a choir to sound, quote, as one? And that's kind of the the magical, the, the, the ideal, that's the gold standard is that, you know, whether it's four people or a hundred people, especially when the numbers are larger, that the audience hears almost a singular, especially when it comes to enunciation. But uh, talk to me about how do you get to as one? Well, that's what I was saying. It's really the working together and it's it's what I call active listening because that's really how it's going to happen. You know, um, people, as they sing, there's only three things that you have to be concerned about. And I say this all the time. You need three things. The first and most important, rhythm. Secondly, notes. And then third, words. That's it. But you have to do them in that order. So I will often in rehearsal, as they're starting to sing, I will be subdividing and going one and two and three and one and two, <laughs> so that they are hearing 
that that subdivision is really important because it's rhythm. Did I send you the, the Dizzy Gillespie thing? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so there's Dizzy Gillespie from my 1974 or whatever, coaching someone. He literally said exactly what you just said to this band is it's not one, two, three. He's like, it's one, uh, two, uh, three, you know, cause he was trying to get them to swing a certain way and was, was trying to get the band to sing the enunciation, absolutely, you know, uh, 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 and the sub, frankly, to sing mm. the subdivisions, even if there weren't notes there, but to recognize that silence suggests the subdivisions, right? And it may be that if you need to do more subdivision, you could be asking people to go one e and a two e and a three e mm. and a four e and a. Right. So they have to do that. But rhythm, it's most important thing. In fact, Robert Shaw. Uh, would in his rehearsals, I uh, remember hearing about this, that the first several rehearsals on a piece, they never once uh, said, <coughs> excuse me, they never once said uh, text. They just said one and two and three and four and one and two or whatever the word notes were. Mm. You learned the notes by doing the rhythm. Yeah. Rhythm yeah. is it. Is there a general rule with, I'm, I suppose the complexity of the piece is, is really the, the differentiator, but is there generally, you know, a new piece of music, is it gonna be 33, 33, you know, 33% on, on rhythm and notes and words, or is it, is it just depends on the piece? Depends on the piece, but it really does begin with rhythm, rhythm, yeah. rhythm all right. the time. And so you, you must, have that firmly in mind. Right. Uh, we're doing a piece in the Plymouth Church Choir right now by a wonderful uh, British woman, Judith Weir, and she can write sometimes very complex patterns. And so you need to know rhythmically that you've got the pattern down before you even think about adding notes, right. let alone words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So rhythm, then notes, than words. Exactly. A any other illumination on the notes or words part? Um, well, it will depend, of course, in terms of notes. Uh, you know, singing is a tricky business because whereas if you're playing, let's say, an instrument, you push your finger down and, you know, hopefully the note you want will come out. Mm -hmm. Whereas with singing, Singing is the one instrument you can't see any part of your instrument. It's all inside you. Mm. So when suddenly someone says, you know, sing, uh, you know, how do you, what is that going to be? You have nothing to go on in terms of pushing a valve down mm -hmm. or pushing, putting your finger on a string. Or a key. Or a key. Right. None of that can happen. So you have to really realize that it's going to be, first of all, about breath. Mm -hmm. about how you inhale and exhale with mm -hmm. your breath. That's going to determine uh, what kind of sound you're going to make. Right. And so that all becomes part of this idea of how do you make a choir sound like one. Mm -hmm. So you have, you have sound going. And then, of course, it will make a difference, too, uh, in terms of language. So if you are uh, singing, a, let's say, um, a text you have to be careful about things uh, like diphthongs so that uh, if you were 
uh, trying to think of a good, quick example of that. Um, if you had the word like, and you know, like is really several sounds. It's like. So you want to make sure that if it's a long word that you're holding the word like, you want to stay on the ah and not go to the e sound. Mm -hmm. So all those kinds of things become part of how you look at text, and then as far and 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 then as far as notes, <coughs> as far as notes go, then it's a matter of. How did, uh, where did that note come from that you have to sing? Uh, and, you know, you might say, oh, Sopranos, just before you sang it, you had a rest. And if you notice, the tenors just sang that note. So now you can pick it up from them mm. as opposed to just pushing down a note. Right. And so the, how do you, I, I try to find ways always with every choir that they can figure an easy way to find the pitch. Yeah, it's kind of like it's a psychological <coughs> it's a psychological puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. As I mean, I'm, they only let me in a, a couple of choirs, and then quickly realized that was a bad idea. But um, I, I like to sing my own notes. But um, getting from the first note to the second note to the third note to the fourth note, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is a bit of a mathematical game especially when there are rests involved and i you know if i'm going oh this is a, a half step a whole step a fourth now i'm going up a sixth and then there's a rest and i have to remember now i'm going from a sixth down a fourth but someone else was singing and your brain is distracted and you're like, no 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 that other voice you know if you're a soprano and they're a tenor they were singing your next note just down and ah okay so guiding them through the the psychological uh, and mathematical kind of minefield of a piece, right, is, is, yep. is part of it, too. That's the note side of it. It is, and you want them to feel very confident in what they're singing. Right. So they need to feel, okay. And the other thing, of course, every composer is different in mm. terms of its sound. So you can sit there and sing something by Mozart, and then you turn around and sing something by Argento, totally different. Right. Equally vocally pleasing. Right. But how you got to find those notes. And of course, uh, a composer like Argento would say, oh, this is so easy. And the singers oh. go, uh, no, this is not easy. <laughs> right. You sing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I'm hearing you say, so there's rhythm and then there's the notes, but there's also the sound. Absolutely. Sort of a subset of notes is the notion of, and, and how do you, you know, all humans are different. And so, you know, you've got tenors of varying physical sizes and altos of humans of different sizes and ages. Um, how do you help each of those individuals, uh, especially within a section, how do you help them blend? Because, of, you know, if we're going for as one, um, the last thing we want is to hear, I can really hear one particular voice standing out. That's not the definition of a choir, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you help, um, you know, you've got four or eight or 12 tenors or, you know, the same number of altos or whatever. How do you help those groups 
blend from a sound perspective? Well, it's really not the word blend. It's really the, think of it as a unified sound. Okay. That's really what you're... What's the difference between unified sound and blend? Well, spelling. Oh, uh, okay. For one thing. Uh, (laughs) But uh, blend uh, sort of implies that we're all going to, who are we going to listen to or how are we going to oh. figure out the sound that is going to be... That, there, oh, that guess, there's a correct sound and everyone yeah, needs to hew to that. As opposed to a unified sound where it might be, oh, depending again a lot on what vowel you're singing. Mm. You know, how do you know, um, for instance, to make an ooh sound that is uniform and a lot of it um, with a sound like ooh would be that some people don't think about as they should think about almost putting your mouth as if you were going to whistle so you got as opposed to oh and yeah. so you go no not uh, ooh. Ooh. oh so they have to learn fa- facial formation mm. as well to make that work and of course also you know it's a matter of your voice it's a matter of your ear listening to what other people are doing. Do you, uh, on that point, again, I'm, I'm not a, a choral person. I'm not in a choir. And I'm assuming that, you, let's just say you have 10 tenors, different ages, different levels of experience. Some uh, may have voices which are just naturally sharper or shriller right and then you might have others whose their voice is just naturally quieter right and and so how do you as a director kind of approach that that palette of voices do you do you sometimes find yourself noting ah fred and steve given the just the nature of their physicality and then the type of voice you might coach them to just ease back a little bit in part because for that uniform for, that uniform sound you need others to to kind of be... exactly it's really production is what it is vocal production what does that mean well it means how do you produce the sound mm-hmm. that you're making um if you are someone for instance who had a very tight jaw you'd have that kind of sound. It's like, okay, we have to work, first of all, just to loosen up Mm -hmm. your jaw so that you can make a sound that is more more useful Mm -hmm. to the rest of the group. Right. And uh, so figuring out, I mean, one of the exercises that conductors do a lot is getting people to relax their jaw and, and by just putting your hand and just doing a kind of ah so that they learn that there's ways to relax yourself as opposed to tighten tightening Mm -hmm. up and it also has to do a lot of it with singing a lot of it with singing has to do also with just your being curious Mm -hmm. about what you're doing and oh let's see how can i maybe i can hear my sound a little bit different and i can kind of experiment I mean, I often suggest to people, you know, take a few minutes at home and just when nobody's around, just 
look in a mirror and see what your mouth looks like in terms of sound and how you're making sound. Oh, yeah. yeah. So there's, I mean, there's, there's not one method that works. But what I'm hearing you say is that a self-awareness, so I'm a member of a section, I'm a member of a choir, the more that I as an individual can become aware of my sound and, and am able to then adjust my sound and I'm listening. Right. So I'm in my tenor section or alto section and I'm hearing my fellow tenors or altos and I am maybe uh, uh, modulating my own sound to fit in. Yes. And sometimes a particular singer may not, may not figure out that they are not blend, that their sound is not unified mm. with the others. And you may have to just privately say, hey, come over here a minute, you know, yeah. not in front of the group. Right. And just say, uh, let's, you know, let's, let's work on the sound, ah. And the person would go, okay, uh. They go, no, ah. And then you figure out, how can I get this person to go from uh to ah? And there's no one method. You just have to kind of mm -hmm. work with someone depending on on their facial structure and yeah. what they do. But, you know, there's just all of those kinds of things play into right. making a unified sound of a choir. Yeah, so that's rhythm, notes, sound. Any thoughts on words? Well, as I said, it does have to do with uh, um, the uh, way in which you learn Part of it depends where you live. I mean, mm. Minnesotans have a have a more, depending on the person, of course, but can have too much of an R sound, like you know, like if you were to say the word um, roof. No, I would take a word like um, rutabaga. Well, we don't sing rutabaga a lot, uh, but if you had a word like uh, Ramses. Yeah, just, I'm trying to think of a word. We that can makes do this my all point. day long. Um, <laughs> you had a word like uh, refrigerator. Race. If you had a word like race, you know, race. How do you, race. How do you oh. work with the uh, R letter there? Yeah, yeah. And or in a word like or refrigerator. Um, yeah, well, not going to sing that too often. Um, or erase. Mm. Okay, erase. You know what? Erase. You know, there's there's a way to make it not quite so strident abrupt. and yeah. so abrupt. Yeah. So and so and again, that would be different if we were doing this, say, uh, in Texas. Right. So it's like where you are located has a lot to do with how you're going to make these sounds. Right, how the sounds work and, yep. and, and how you approach the words. And I'm assuming, you know, the the uh, the the author, the composer, you know, the, the age, the ethnicity of the text and, and that, that falls in a lot into it as well. I mean, example would be uh, when people came from Africa who were slaves and were brought over here uh, they don't have in the African languages the sound th. Mm. They don't have the. So what they do is duh. Mm. 
Right. Like a de- so, so when you hear someone, that was what, when they learned English, they, they, they didn't right. get, get putting their tongue between the teeth and the doing that. So they would duh, duh. Right. And as do Europeans. I mean, there, there are certain English words we have, they just can't. They just, you know, yeah. can't do it. Uh, so an enunciation uh, is fluid, and and it depends on history. It depends on background. Uh, it depends on context. When I was in uh, Cape Town conducting at the opera, and we did an Argento opera, and it had the they all had to sing the phrase, "We can build a ship." They don't have the i sound in their language. Hmm. So they kept saying, we can build a sheep. And I said, well, actually, it's not a sheep that we're building, but a ship. So let's all practice. So ip versus eep. Yep. Let's all practice saying i. And so they would go e. I go, no, i. I mean, it was just a sound they never used. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing. It really depends on where you are located to how you're going to make all this work. It's a wonderful challenge. I love it. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's really what it is. Let's talk a little bit about kind of walking in and you're, you're, you're meeting a choir and you're new, maybe they've been established or you're establishing a choir. How do you evaluate the, the sound of a choir so that you can determine the right types of music for that choir? You know, um, it, it, it would, it's sort of like the way, in the way that a, a choreographer is like, okay, we're meeting the the cast for the first time, and I might have an idea for the choreography, but if all of my actors are limited in some way or lack certain abilities, you're gonna adjust the choreography. Um, How do you go about kind of assessing 
acquire so that you can pick the most uh, the most effective repertoire? I think it. I think what you're looking for and what you're referring to is flexibility. Mm. Uh, you know what what can they what can they do? Um, I remember working with a Russian choir who wanted to sing Negro spirituals, mm. and they had been trained to stand very tall and hands to the side and very stiff. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay. Now, yeah, so their physicality was on the other end of where it needed totally. to be. Yeah. And I said, well, let's not even singing, let's just try to move our bodies a little bit. Mm. And, you know, could we just try to move our hips? And no, we cannot. We Hips stay straight. Yeah. And I went, um, okay, we won't go with the hips, you know. <laughs> Can we try to move our arms? I mean, it just, you had to, you try right. to find a way. Because if they wanted to sing something, uh, right. and you wanted it to have flexibility, right. how do I achieve that? So, again, every choir, it's, you know, it's a wonderful challenge. I love it. But it, but it's like taking a choir and let's say, okay, hmm. Uh, and then you, of course, at the same time, want the choir to uh, embrace what you're saying so that you, you're you not going to say, you stand right here and do it just as I say. I mean, yeah. that isn't going to get you anywhere. Right. So you want to figure out, how can I achieve uh, a result uh, with this music? Sometimes, if it's, an, uh, if it's a professional choir, you might use an example of... Uh, uh, say, uh, okay, can you make this sound? Uh, uh, I need, I need a sound that feels very, very uh, full, full, fulsome. And so you might name a famous singer. You might say Pavarotti, or you yeah. might say somebody, and yeah. say, can you, can you make, give it that kind of full sound that he would do? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, and then the choir can kind of mimic that kind as, of as a group. Or you can say, you know, um, can the difference between doing something uh, that you do when you are uh, with furrowed brow, mm -hmm. and then saying, now sing the same thing and smile. Mm. Oh, and say, do you hear the different kind of sound? The, there's a yeah. lightness that goes. So there's no, it's every choir is going to be different, but it's like finding some mechanism to mm -hmm. help them get what it is in the particular piece that you are working on. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, a, a new choral director, you know, graduated in or, or they've, you know, moved from one part of the world to another part of the world and, and now they have a new choir. Talk to me about that sort of getting to know you phase. Like what, you know, if, if I've arrived in a, a new environment um, and, you know, for whatever reason, and now I have a new choir to direct and how do I, what do you recommend in terms of how, how would I go about getting to know this choir? Like, well, they want to get to know you too. That's the well, other part. Yeah. So, so, so what is that, what is that dance? Well, the dance is, it's twofold. I mean, certainly, uh, if if I am with a choir that I've never been with before, I might say, you know, here's something I learned once that 
was just fascinating that Aaron Copeland taught me, you know, and I said, I have to tell you all, Aaron Copeland, wonderful man. And I worked with him. I brought it, you know, yeah. so you kind of, oh, oh, he knew Aaron. You're, you're not saying I knew yeah. Aaron Copeland. Yeah, yeah. I'm finding a very simple, casual way to bring, you know, and then. Let's but it's say, useful for them because they're now receiving an insight from Aaron Copeland that you just happened to pick that's up. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm saying, oh, yeah, you know, doing his music. Oh, and hearing how he would talk about it. Oh, oh okay. So yeah. so they kind of had a little sense of of, of who I might be. Right. And, uh, and, but it's useful for them. Oh, the, yes. The point, is, the point isn't a story about you. It's a story about something that they as a choir can take advantage of. Right. Exactly. Right. You know, and but, you, but but from a practical standpoint, you know, is I'm assuming that the sort of getting to know you phase could be as simple as just kind of the type of warm ups that you engage in. Exactly. What you're meeting a choir for the first time, you're coming in cold, you have mm, some knowledge that, OK, they're a college choir. So you have some expectations or or they're a church choir. How do you sort of just kind of help yourself figure out, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know the rep you're aspiring to sing with this choir. Maybe you have heard some recordings of them or not, but how do you sort of get that, that initial sense for yourself as a director? Like, okay, we're going to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. Like what sort of exercises would you kind of... Well, again, you know, you might start out with some just very uh, easy humming exercises mm. and then you might say why oh, humming mm, because humming d helps you just have in your own body just a sense there's nothing forced about humming mm. you know mm, it's just you mm. know and you might just start by asking people just ah just say ah and people go okay mm. say e you know you might start yeah. with just sounds and then you say, well, let's try humming that, see what happens. And then you start a little bit to see what kind of range they have mm. to do. And then just say, okay, I'm going to try something. Uh, I'm going to state basis. Why don't you start on this note, tenors on this note, etc. And we'll have a nice chord. Okay, now when I point, maybe altos, I'm going to point at you to go up a half step. So they, the others stay the same and we change. So we're just going to listen and make chords with each other. Mm -hmm. So it's, and that's a question then for me to see what kind of flexibility they have mm -hmm. as a choir. Yeah, maybe throw in some rhythm or throw Everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and I just, and to your point about, well, they're trying to learn you through the choices that you make uh, and the, the sort of, attitude with which you deliver those choices they're helping learn oh here's how this individual acts mm -hmm. or serves as as a choral conductor right huh um what about uh, so there's another role oftentimes of the choir which is the accompanist right mm -hmm. so you are you know, at the podium, you're conducting. Sometimes you're at the piano, but quite often I know with um, vocal lessons and other institution, institutions, you've got a you've got a pianist. Talk, mm -hmm. talk to me about. Um, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but 
What what makes it for an effective a choral accompanist? Um, <clears throat> I would say an accompanist that's really on the ball. Uh, yes, they see the notes that they have to play, but they're listening to what the choir is doing. Mm -hmm. And so they are perhaps noticing that uh, the pitch is sagging a little bit in perhaps the soprano part, mm -hmm. depending on the piece. Right. And so that accompanist is able, yes, playing their part, but also to kind of uh, gently nudge the pitch of the sopranos back to where it should be, just by knowing more than just the piano part that they have. Right. Uh, and of course, also the uh, a good accompanist will anticipate uh, when the conductor is talking to the choir and saying, "So we need to try," and the accompanist will already know where the conductor is going to go mm -hmm. in terms of, like, you know, he's going to measure twenty-two. I and so I'm ready, and boom, I'll play. I'll play that. So he the, he doesn't have to say. And now, would you all find measure twenty-two? Right. You know, uh, because the accompanist is already there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so finding a good accompanist is a rarity. There are great accompanists, and I'm very fortunate that I have several here at Vocal Essence. So right. it's, you know, so but I, but... Treasure know, the ones that you have, right? Oh, my word. Yes, yes. <laughs> so... Um, well, and, and kind of in that area, like, so you're doing, um, if you, we were talking about a little bit, but if you walk in and, it, you know, it's a youth choir or the, the vintage voices or whatever, what are your, some of your favorite vocal warm ups and why? You've done, obviously, you've tried a zillion of them. Which ones do you, do you sort of find that you return to again and again? Well, certainly, I think just this to take a sound and just say, okay, I want you just to take a sound. Just find out what's your range. You know, just mm -hmm. using it as a kind of exploration for going up high, going down mm -hmm. low. Just feeling very, very, uh, very relaxed in what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So you know, and then you might want to work also on your breath by doing, you know, just feel where that is and doing ha 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 ha. You know, oh okay. Feeling where mm. that that chest and that stomach cavity is is producing that sound, and so you might take that and then say, okay, now let's try it on just a note, and you may go, you know, who 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 who. I, I mean, there's any kind of thing yeah, or a pattern, yeah. yeah, a pattern, yeah, yeah, going on up the scale, right? So things like that that just help them to connect with their body. That's mm -hmm. really what it is. All right, um, kind of in the, we're getting close to the end here, but I'm thinking about, um, you know, you don't always have a perfect situation, you know, uh, and, and the, the right blend of tenors to altos to basses to sopranos. Um, and you walk in and, um, oh, today our choir is, you know, 14 sopranos, one tenor and three basses, you know. Uh, a beautiful blend that is. Yeah. Well, right, but you know, beggars can't be choosers. Um, what do you do with those in those type? Like, 
what do you adjust and, and kind of like both from your just your own psychology, your own mental model, but how do you help acquire that is sort of technically out of balance to sound more balanced? Well, for one thing, you know, faithful attendance, you can accomplish a lot. If somebody shows up one week and you don't see them again for four weeks, and then they come back, it's going to be more difficult to achieve any kind of, um, mm -hmm. of uh, balance. If people are there regularly, without a doubt, they will get better and better mm -hmm. as a choir. As a choir, yeah. uh, And to do it. So if you've got a choir with all those sopranos, um, and then you've got one tenor, yeah. um, and then you've got a few basses, I mean, you might very likely end up just doing music that's a single male part for tenors and basses together, mm -hmm. rather than trying to, be to to balance 14 sopranos with one tenor. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, not going to happen. So, yeah. so you want to figure out, how can I use these people Mm -hmm. uh, in a good way and and that'll come down to what repertoire you choose mm -hmm. and it may be <clears throat> that you want uh, if the tenor for instance has a good falsetto it may be that you might say you know why don't you try singing the soprano part mm -hmm. you know if it, unless it was extremely high right and you might just do that with them oh isn't that nice how nice right. you know that we've got another voice on that treble part and then the basses can do something different. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, again, you just take the situation and you know what, as I said earlier, be creative. Yeah. You can find a solution for this because these people are there because they want to sing right. and they want to get better. Right. I mean, the, the, nobody, Even if it's an, an oddly balanced yes, choir, I mean, you know. Nobody comes to singing in a choir to say, oh, I just hope I get I hope I'm not any good and get worse. <laughs> they don't want that. People who come yeah. to sing want to learn to sing better. And you just need to find the ways that you can make that happen. All right. Well, kind of ending in that, in that space, um, what are your recommendations for um, pushing a choir? And, you know, let's just say you've been with a choir as a choral director for a couple of years and there's certainly, you know, familiarity and routine and, oh, you know, we're, we're singing music that we know and it's going to build confidence. And, and certainly, you know, we've all seen choirs that sing the same 20 pieces of music over and over and over again. How do you help a, a, a choir? I mean, it's a trick question for you because you're notorious for pushing the envelope and trying all sorts of new things. So this is really more of a question uh, of advice for people who aren't you, from you. How do you help acquire gain confidence? Because, you know, if, if we know a piece of music and now, okay, there's a new piece of music, well, that's risk, right? Oh, yeah. And, and, and it's, it, it's not the status quo and we don't want to sound wrong. And so how do you help instill uh, confidence in exploring and trying new things? I always tell a choir if we're trying something new, uh, isn't it exciting that we get to explore a sound, a composer that we've never experienced before? Mm. And let's see what we can do 
with this new music. It's going to take us a little while, but it's going to be exciting. So I'm always, of course, doing the positive thing with mm -hmm. it and making sure that they can really uh, come along with me and find joy in a new composer. And I will say, uh, uh, this, uh, this might be a little tricky, which will cause someone after rehearsal to say, we know tricky means difficult. Mm -hmm. And I go, but they said, but tricky is a positive word. Mm. Difficulty is negative. Oh, right, oh, right. We're not going to be able to do this. This is so. Right. I never say it's difficult. Right. I will just say, well, it's kind of tricky, but you know, you'll you'll see how it works. Right. You know? Yeah, you're giving them a, a sense of of optimism that. Oh, absolutely. It's a whole vocabulary thing, right. and of course, then if you're doing a piece that's been that's brand new and no one's done it before, mm. then you say, we are. This is so exciting. Because when we sing this piece, it will never have been heard in the world, ever. No one's ever done it. We get to be the first. Mm -hmm. Isn't that exciting? Right, yeah. 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 So it's not like, oh, this is going to be, uh. It's like, this is really, and how nice if the composer is there that we can share this moment with the composer. And the composer can be ecstatic to hear the the piece that he or she has composed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm reflecting on uh, this last weekend's uh, Sunday, February 26th, uh, singing the world awake, uh, the reawakening love vocal essence witness mm -hmm. concert in Orchestra Hall. Um, you did music by Barnwell and Garrett and Reginald Wright and B. E. Boykin. Uh, I'm, <coughs> Were any of these particular uh, pieces that you work on with the with the vocal essence chorus a particular challenge? And I'm curious if any of them provided an example where you had to utilize some of your uh, your deep experience. Well, of course, one of the great things since I've been around for a while, um, I know a lot of composers, mm -hmm. and if I don't know them, and if they are alive. Mm -hmm. I will try to reach them if I have a question. Right. And so it's great to be able to say to the singers, um, you know, I was studying this piece and this measure just didn't seem quite right. So I just called the composer and said, what what, what were you thinking, right? How do we make that work? Hmm. And that builds a, a kind of special rapport right. between the, the conductor and the singers. But in this particular program, um, there were a couple of spots in Reginald Wright's piece uh, that the ensemble singers did that at the first rehearsal, you know, it there were just it was just difficult. We couldn't figure out what it was. This is piece tides. Yes. And so I remember a, a violin and a viola. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I wrote. I didn't know him, but I figured out where he lived and I wrote to him. Well, first of all, because he was thrilled that we were doing his piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. And then I said, but I've got a couple problems. In measure 42, yeah, uh, the, it just doesn't gel quite right. I'm just wondering, are those the right notes? And then he came back, oh, no, it's a wrong note. Oh, oh. so maybe the, the publisher or the printer had messed up in some way, shape, exactly. or form. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, right. you know, so you, so there were, there were, and there were several places in that piece that we had to 
kind of iron out to figure out what it needed to be. Right. Some other pieces uh, are, you know, maybe they've been sung several times, so there's any problems have been ironed out. Almost every new piece, you'll find something that needs a little, uh, mm-hmm. a little tweaking. Yeah, and uh, and here, um, so what's coming up? You've got we're in uh, early uh, early days of March. Um, I mean, aside from your um, your organ uh, concerto on Sunday in Florida, um, pack your shoes. What's the next Vocal Essence concert coming up? And mm-hmm. when you think about choral direction and directing those choirs, is there any particular piece that is uh, as proved tricky. Yes. Uh, the, the next concert is actually the one our youth choir is doing, Sota. Mm-hmm. But after that, then comes a concert with both the ensemble singers and the chorus. <clears throat> and the ensemble singers are doing several pieces by themselves, one of which is definitely tricky. Mm. It's by a Mexican composer, Delgado, and it just has a lot of... of varying rhythms within one part to another part. It's all in Spanish, mm-hmm. and it's also in some uh, Mexican dialects. Mm. So it's going to be uh, a piece that's going to take some special work to do. We're also doing a piece uh, by... But, but so in that case, I'm sensing that you'll start with the rhythm. Oh, my word, yes. Get those, and then, and then work on the notes. Yeah. And the yeah. sound, and yeah. then work on the phonetics of the act- yeah. of the language, the use of language. I mean, we will most likely start out uh, with uh, just singing uh, on after they've got the rhythm, singing on the syllable ta. So mm. we just—it's like a percussive sound. So this when ta, is this ta, concert? Ta, ta. Uh, early May. So it's early May. We're now in early March. But so we don't got... have any rehearsals with them till mid-April. Uh, for this piece of music, how many rehearsals will you do with them to kind of get it ready for performance? Well, there will be a total, uh, with for all the music on the yeah. program, there will be a total of six rehearsals. Six rehearsals. But this is a professional yeah. choir that is they are expected to have done their homework right. to come to rehearsal. But even though you have come and done your homework, mm-hmm. it's hearing your part next to another part and right. you're singing C, let me make this up. You're singing C, D, E, and the the part next to you is singing C sharp, D sharp, F, you know? Right. So it's like, well, I learned it at home, but now that I hear this other part, right. how do I make that, you know? Right, make that make so, sense. Yeah. And and what else is on the, on the program in May that is uh, tricky? Uh, the other piece that would be tricky is uh, well we're doing some music of of Maura Smiley mm. and she often she likes to do something that is not common for singers and that is to ask you to do body percussion oh so this will be you know and you just you know and some people are very comfortable doing that mm-hmm. and some people are not so trying to make it well, something that everybody could do this together, that's another good challenge. And then you've got, uh, I mean, you could think about those Russians that you're, you know, just maybe we can move our hips a little. Right. Yeah. Start with the hips and see if that's okay. Uh, all right. And are you, we talked about this. Are you 
heading to Istanbul in April? I am. Okay, so April 25th through 30th, you will be in Istanbul, not Constant, not Constantinople. No. If Istanbul. you're waiting for me in Constantinople, I'll be I'll be waiting for you in Istanbul. Mm. There you go. Do you know that song that they might be giants? You know, I don't. Oh, it's a, you should learn that song. It's a okay. fabulous song. So you're going to the World Choral Symposium in Istanbul, April 25 through 30. Um, what are you looking forward to? Um, it's actually April 24. I can't be there the whole time, but I'll be coming back home on April 28. Yeah. I'm looking forward to because. At a symposium like this, you get a chance to hear choirs and repertoire from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not sure yet uh, which choirs. I know the Estonian Chamber Choir is coming, and mm. they're fantastic. Yeah. So I will be interested to hear what repertoire they that they uh, select. Select. Yeah. So, uh, and, and there'll there. be a choir. There'll certainly be a choir from Asia, there'll yeah. be some from Africa. I right. mean, so it's a real fascinating way to hear a lot of good sounding choirs. Uh, and they've all been pre-selected mm -hmm. uh, to come. So yeah. it'll be, it will be a, a wonderful experience to hear that. So you'll go there and I think that will be our next uh, session. So when you get back from Istanbul, yep, we'll sit down and we'll chat about what you have learned from the World Choral Symposium. Great. That sounds great. Well, thanks very much. You are very welcome.